Chapter 9 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Crips in Affliction. Confound that Crips! young Overshoot cried, with irritation getting the better of his larger elements, while the squire slowly awoke and stared and rubbed his gray eyelashes and said that he really was almost falling off and he ought to be quite ashamed of himself. Then he begged his visitor's pardon for bad manners and asked what the matter was. "'Sir, it is only that fool, Cripps,' said the young man, still in vexation and signing to Mary to go and to shut the door. "'Some trumpery parcel, of course. They might have let you rest for a minute or two. "'No, sir, no, if you please, sir, no,' cried Mary, advancing with her hands up. "'Maister Cripps may have seen something terrible, and he hath come straight to his worship.' He be that out of breath that he was a force to lay hold of me before he could stand a'most. He must have met them sheep-stealers. Sheep-stealing again, said Mr. Oglander, who was an active magistrate. Well, let him come in. I have troubles of my own, but I must attend to my duty. Let me attend to it, interposed the other, being also one of the great unpaid. You must not be pestered with such things now. Try to get some little rest while I attend to this Cripps affair. "'I am much obliged to you,' answered the squire, rising and looking wide awake. "'But I will hear what he has to say myself. "'Of course I shall be too glad of your aid if you are not in a hurry.' Mr. Overshoot knew that this fine old justice, although so good in the main, was not entirely free from foibles, of which there was none more conspicuous than a keen and resolute jealousy if any brother magistrate dared to meddle with Beckley matters.' Therefore Russell for the time withdrew, but promised to return in half an hour, not only for the sake of consulting with the squire, but also because he suspected that Cripps might become on an errand different from what Mary had imagined. Meanwhile the carrier could hardly be kept from bursting in head foremost. Betty the cook laid hold of him in the passage while he was short of breath, but he pushed at even her, although he ought to have known better manners. Betty was also in a state of mind of having cooked no dinner worth speaking of since Tuesday, and Cripps, if his wits had been about him, must have yielded space and bowed. Betty, however, was nearly as wide and a great deal thicker than he was, and she spread forth two great arms that might have stopped even Dobbin with a low downhill. At last the signal was passed that Cripps might now come on and tell his tale and he felt as if he should have served them right by refusing to say anything. But when he saw the squire's jovial face drawn thin with misery, and his sturdy form unlike itself, and the soft puzzled manner in lieu of the old distinct demand to know everything, Zachary Cripps came forward gently, and thought of what he had to tell, with fear. "'What is it, my good fellow?' asked the squire, perceiving his hesitation. "'Nothing amiss with your household, I sincerely hope, my friend. "'You are a fortunate man, and one thing, you have had no children yet.' "'Aye, aye, your worship is right enough there. "'The Lord lends they, and he takes them away, "'and and the taking be worse than the given was good.' "'Now, Master Cripps, we must not talk so. "'All is meant for the best, I doubt.' "'Her maybe, her maybe,' Cripps replied. The Lord is the one to pronounce upon that, knowing his own manning must, but he do give very hard measure some time to them as have never deserved it. Now, 
There be your poor Miss Grace, for instance, as nice a young lady as ever lived, the purtiest ever come out of a bed, that humble, too, and gracious always. That Cripps, she would say, nay, Master Cripps, she always give me my proper title, even on a dirty linen day, Master Cripps, her always said, let me mark it off in your hat for you, no matter whether it was my best hat or the one with the grease come through. Master Cripps, she always say, let me mark it out for you. Very well, Cripps, I know all that. It is nothing to what my grace was, and I hope with God's blessing she will do it again. But what is it you are so full of, Cripps? The carrier felt in the crown of his hat and then inside the lining as if he had something entered there to help him in this predicament, and then he turned away to wipe as if the weather was very wet the drops of the hedge from the days of his eyes, and after he could not help himself, but out with everything. I knows where Miss Gracie be, he began with a little defiance, as if, after all, it was nothing to him, but a thing he might have a bet about. I knows where our Miss Gracie lies, dead and cold, dead and cold, without no coffin, nor a winding sheet, that purty creature, that purty creature, there, what a fool I be, good Lord. Master Cripps, at the picture himself had drawn, was taken with a short fit of sobs and turned away, partly to hunt for his kercher and partly to shun the poor squire's eyes. Mr. Oglander slowly laid down the pen, which he had taken for notes of a case, and standing as firm as his own great oak tree, famous in that neighborhood, gave no sign of the shock except in the color of his face and the brightness of his gaze. Go on, Cripps, as soon as you can, he said in a calm and gentle voice. Try not to keep me waiting, Cripps. I be trying, I be trying all I knows. The blessed angel be dead and buried, close to Tickus's taddy crop, in a corner of Bramble Quarry. At least, I mean, Tickus's taddies was there, but he dug them a fortnight come Monday, he did. The corner of the gypsy's grave, as they call it. Who found it? How do you know it? Esther was there. She seed the whole of it. Before the snow come last Tuesday night. Tuesday night? Ah, Tuesday night. For the moment the old man had lost his clearness. It can't have been Tuesday night. It was Wednesday when I rode down to my sister's. Cripps, your sister must have dreamed it. My darling was then at her aunt's, quite safe. You have frightened me for nothing, Cripps. Oh, I'm glad with all my heart, cried Zachary. I'm quite sure it were Tuesday night because of Mrs. Exey, and your worship knows best of the days, no doubt. Thank the Lord for all his mercies. Well, seeing now as it were somebody else and in no ways particular, and perhaps one of them gypsy girls as took the fever to Cowley, if your worship will take your pen again, I will tell you all as Esther seed. Two men with a pickaxe working, where the stone overhangeth so, and a corpse of a nice young woman laid for the stone to bury it natural. No harm at all in the world, when you come to think, being not of a Christian body, and they let go the rock, and it come down over, to save all infection. Lord, what a turn that Eddie gave me, all about a trifle." The carrier wiped his forehead and smiled. And won't I give it well to her? Poor girl, 
It is no trifle, Cripps, whoever it may have been. But stop. I am all abroad. It was Tuesday afternoon my poor darling left Mrs. Fermitage, and to the quarry across the fields from the way she would have come is not a half a mile, half a mile of fields and hedgerows. Oh, Cripps, it was my daughter. Her maid have been, sure enough said Cripps, in whom the reflected vein for the moment had crossed the sentimental. Sure enough, her might have been. A pasture meadow and a field of rape. The Gibbses turnips, then a fallow. And then into Tickus's taties. Half an hour might have done the carrion. And concerning the rest, your worship. Now, when did she leave the lady? Can you count the time of it? Zachary, now, the will of the Lord be done. "'Without calculation. "'My grave is all I care to count on, "'if my gracie lies buried so. "'But before I go to it, please, God, "'I will find out who has done it.'" End of chapter 9